You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, and co-host of Fox Hills Location, Location, Location Australia. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner, mortgage broker, and wealth coach. And together, we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Please stick around for this week's Elephant Rider Bootcamp. And we have a cracking dumbbell of the week coming up. Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. In this episode, we're going to discuss some of life's big questions, in particular, how entwined are property and happiness? Do our homes have the potential to make us happy? What role does the provision of shelter, security, safety, and as we move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs, status, aspiration, and a sense of achievement have in creating our mental well-being? Or what if we come at things from a different angle? I mean, does being happy result in us making better decisions? And how does our state of mind play out when it comes to choosing a home, deciding what to pay, handling agents, and how we deal with the fear of missing out? And don't think this episode is just for owner-occupiers. There will be plenty of gold for investors too as we discuss whether it is even possible to buy real estate without emotion. Our guest today has spent more than a decade studying psychology and another 10 or so years lecturing and researching aspects of human behaviour and emotion. He's taught at many of the major universities in Australia and is currently a professor of positive psychology at two leading universities. He's the founder and chief happiness officer of the Happiness Institute, the best-selling author of the Happiness Handbook and 100 Ways to Happiness, a guide for busy people, a regular media commentator who's been read and heard by millions of people and now a few thousand more as you guys listen to it. So it's no surprise that he's become to be known as Dr. Happy. But his real name is Dr. Timothy Sharp, and thank you so much for joining us today, Tim. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Tim. Good to see you. Um, I guess that happiness is a, is a very funny term anyway. I mean, what's your version of happiness? Yeah, look, that's a good place to start. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of my time trying to help people define happiness because it is often um, – uh, well, it's, it's misunderstood and it's used in lots of different ways for di- by different people uh, in different contexts. So, um, look, the simplest way to understand happiness is as one of two concepts, I suppose. The, the simplest version of happiness is a version of positive emotion. So it's one type of feeling good uh, along with joy and excitement and calm and satisfaction. Um, but what I am most interested in, and I suppose what positive psychology, that the science of happiness is most in- interested in, is not just positive emotions. I mean, they are important. They're, they're very important in lots of ways. But more than that, what we're really talking about, I suppose, is um, living our best lives, thriving and flourishing. And so what that means is that in addition to positive emotions, which are a part of that, it's also about um, meaning and purpose. It's also about physical health and well-being. It's also about very much about our relationships. Um, so it's a, it's a bigger, broader, deeper concept, I suppose, than just feeling good, which which can sometimes be fleeting. And so a lot of what you're talking about there is 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 that more around well-being? Like these are all the elements of kind of happiness is having multiple kind of things going really well, I guess, in life? Is... Yeah, so, um, yeah, so there's, a, there's a range of related terms, um, happiness or thriving and flourishing, wellness, well-being, et cetera. Um, they mean slightly different things to different people. But, yeah, mm. well, I'd say well-being is probably a broader concept uh, that includes mm. probably more of the physical focus on things. But but mm. you're right. It is important 
when we're thinking, well, if we think about happiness, as I just described it, as more than just a positive emotion and living a good life, then there are a number of domains that we need to address. And how do you think that, uh, you know, shelter, I guess it's, you know, we could see the properties shelter as, as a real basic, but then it's got so many other elements of property that it gives us. How do you think that that plays into happiness and how important is it? Yeah, and uh, that's a, a fascinating question. I think we heard a little bit in the introduction about the the different ways that we can think about property, I suppose. So at the very basic level, it's a roof over our head, which mm. um, which is pretty important, um, especially as um, as the chill of winter comes in. Uh, we might start to, or hopefully some people start to appreciate um, what it's like to have a home and what it, what it might be like to be homeless, say, for example. Yep. So at a very basic level to have that uh, security and comfort and warmth and protection, um, that's obviously important. Um, uh, above and beyond that, um, it can be a lot more. So it can actually be a home, which I would consider different to a property. Mm-hmm. Um, so more than just, well, it can be a financial investment. And, and for most of us, it is the the biggest financial investment we make. Um, uh, but in addition, it's a place where we uh, live with our loved ones, uh, mm. where we come home every night, where we dine and sleep. and um, so there, memories. Exactly. Mm. Um, so there, there can be a number of levels, uh, all of which are valid, I suppose, all of which are important, some of which I guess will be more or less important for different people at different stages of their lives too. Mm. So you said some of the big ones around relationships. Do you think mm. that the home kind of can – create better relationships or worse relationships? Do you think that the home is a key ingredient in, you know, I guess, in making that flourish? Oh, it's definitely a big part. So so when we talk about, um, the, 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 there's almost no doubt at all um, that probably the most important thing for our health, happiness, well-being, longevity, et cetera, et cetera, uh, is the quality of our relationships, a sense of connectedness, a sense of belonging. Um, but then we can look at that on a number of different levels. So at the, the most um, intimate level is our immediate family. So uh, for me, it's my wife and children. So it's, you know, it's your loved one, your partner, possibly children, parents, and then we sort of go out by layers, I suppose. So then it's your um, slightly extended family, then it's your close friends, then it's your more distant friends, etc. But certainly, a home is somewhere where we spend, uh, well, for most of us, spend time with at least one other person. Uh, more often than not, um, often a couple of people if you have uh, a, a number of generations there. And um, and yeah, there's no doubt that they're um, vitally important. I mean, as a parent myself, I often say, you know, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. So <laughs> <laughs> any parent would know, um, you know, the happiness of your children is vitally important to your own happiness. But then that goes for other people as well. Obviously, if your if your parents are unwell, then that can affect you, or if you're even friends. So mm. um, so yes, that, it's very important um, a part of our health and well-being generally. And do you think that status plays a lot into? property? Do you think that status is a big part of happiness generally, or, you know, feeling like you've achieved or, you know, that feeling that other people will feel like you think you've achieved, you know, what's your, what's your thoughts on kind of status and home ownership, I guess, and how it's interlinked? Uh, look, the simple answer is yes. Um, I suppose if I were to put my idealist hat on, I'd say it shouldn't, or I wish it didn't. Mm. Um, ideally <laughs> we probably shouldn't put as much emphasis on that. And, and ideally, um, people like myself often talk about how, you know, material possessions or stuff that we own, including a house, mm. shouldn't necessarily determine our happiness. Um, but the reality is it does to some extent, and I suppose it's up to us to try to determine how much. Um, but there's no doubt, I think particularly in a city like Sydney, I mean, and it's I think it sort of plays out a bit more or less in certain cities or certain countries, but, um, you know, there's no doubt that certain postcodes or certain areas carry a certain prestige. Uh, mm. um, you know, people, you know, what school did you go to? What, what? 
car do you drive? All those sort of things play into it. Um, but I, I think that is risky, and we, we, we know that that is risky because we know that um, there's a phenomenon that economists and, and psychologists talk about called the hedonic treadmill, which you may or may not have touched on in other episodes, yep. but you know, no matter what sort of how nice your house is and how nice the suburb is, what we find is that it's never quite enough for people. Um, you just always look, because most people, unfortunately, compare themselves up, so they, they see a nicer house or a bigger house mm. or a... Yep. Uh, and that that's a um, that's a recipe for disaster, really. So uh, the, the reality is, it is important, but it's also a dangerous strategy to build our happiness on. We we find that mm. often with our clients that you know they'll come in and they'll say, look, you know, I've got a budget of X, and mm. well, if only I had a budget of Y. And I say, well, if you had the budget of Y, you'd be wanting the budget of Z. Exactly. And that's just human nature. We're always mm. wanting mm. more than we've got. Um, it's very rare you meet somebody who's actually truly centered and happy and settled. But then again, I think aspiration is not a bad thing either, right? Exactly. Yeah. Look, this is a really interesting phenomenon. Um, uh, and, and actually I was at a conference a few years ago uh, where the Dalai Lama was speaking and someone actually asked him a question very much along those lines. And I thought his response was fascinating. So someone asked him essentially, um, and as a Buddhist, how do you, um, how do you wrap your mind around aspiration, you know, and setting yeah. goals and uh, and he, cause you know, we often think of Buddhism as a, as just being happy with what you have, mm. being content, but he actually said, and this, again, this really fascinated me that every, every good Buddhist is aspirational because we want to become Buddha-like or they want to become oh, Buddha-like. Right, yep. Um, and no one ever gets there really, or apart maybe from the Dalai Lama, but, um, and so I thought that was very interesting. And essentially what he was saying, I think what he was saying is it, it's okay to be aspirational. Mm. But it is a fine line and it is a fine balancing act because what we've got to protect against is just constantly wanting more and more and better and better because then we never get there. Well, we never get there. There's always, <laughs> yeah. there's always someone wealthier. There's always a bigger house. There's yeah. always, you know, a bigger budget. Yeah. Um, so I agree. I don't, th- I don't think there's anything wrong with wealth creation. I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, trying to earn more or, or buy nicer things, whatever. But we do need, from a happiness perspective, yeah. we need to be very careful about what we're going to get from it. And we won't really get that deep and meaningful happiness, mm. well, well, which we can, we'll get much more from other factors, like, as we said earlier, quality relationships, I suppose. That's funny. Cause mm. it, you know, I was with a client last week and, um, you know, he's got a house and I, you know, he's paid it off and he's, you know, he's done really well for himself. So he's, he's probably hasn't really focused too much around his kind of happiness and well-being. <laughs> and, um, we had a really good chat and I was like, he's got his house. And I said, you know, do you love it? And he goes, look, to be honest, we don't, we, we've paid it off. We, but we really want to be living here. And, you know, but that's going to mean that we're going to go into debt. And then we had a real chat about, look, are you really going to value it? Like, are you, you know, do you see it's going to be a much better life for yourself, for you and your kids and, and things like that? And he goes, well, I haven't really thought about it like that. I've just thought about it as a negative emotion. I'm going to go into more debt. And so then we kind of you know, expanded the conversation around, would you value it? Like, do you, is, is there a point in doing this? Because A, it's a good investment. So it'll long-term, you will get that money back because you're buying a good investment, but you know, are you actually going to get some lifestyle benefits out of it? Because if you're not, you're doing it for, you know, real other reasons. You're just doing it because you, yep. you can. Mm. And then that's not. Or you not, feel like you should. Yeah. Well, that's it. And exactly. And then is that really, and when you get there, are you any happier? No, you've just kind of created more stress in your life. And I think, you know, sometimes we've got to be thinking, well, is this going to make us happier than mm. pursuing aspiration, I guess? Yeah. Look, a fascinating discussion and it ties up. So one of the aspects that underlies all of this, I suppose, from a happiness perspective and a financial perspective, I guess, is that um, like different people have different tolerance for risk and for debt. Mm. Um, so what we know is that um, 
much more so than wealth creating happiness, financial stability and security creates happiness. And that can be at any level. So mm. there are people that are very happy and very content on what other people might think is a low income or a low level of net wealth um, because that's, you know, it depends on their expectations and that's what they want and they're happy with it and they value other things just as much or more. Um, but there are obviously people that are more comfortable with risk and with debt. Um, mm. And that's important to take into account. So if you've got a low risk threshold or low, then you might not want to go into higher debt. Mm. Um, mm. But then it depends on a whole lot of other factors as well. So it, it is, I think it's, it's great what you did there, that the conversation needs to be much broader than mm. what a lot of people think about it. Money is not good or bad. A house isn't good or bad. It depends on what it means to you and yeah. I guess how it fits into other parts of your life. And you mentioned about values and I think mm. that's an important thing for people to take some time to actually look at them, look inwards and think what are my values? And that, and so, sort of jump in, but most people don't do that. Mm. <laughs> not enough people. Well, because we're not kind of, we're kind of not taught that at school, are we? Um, uh, in fact, we're not taught that at all. I wasn't taught that sort of thing at school. And yet, arguably, that's one of the most important things we can do. So unless you, for some reason, you know, go to see a psychologist or a coach or someone yep. like me, or maybe read a, a good self-help book, or um, most people don't ask those questions, mm. or they don't uh, go into enough depth, enough depth in their answers. And so, yeah, if you don't know what your values are, those sorts of decisions are very difficult. Yeah, I think that we're all in this kind of, you know, it's kind of our life's kind of been planned out, right? You mm. go to school, you go to uni, you get a job, you buy a house, you have kids, and you know, a lot of people are in autopilot just thinking mm, that and when they get to a, a point in life and they think, oh, actually, you know what? I'm not actually doing a job I love. I, you know, I haven't done anything for myself. I'm not doing any hobbies or I haven't gone and don't using <laughs> well, creativity in my life. kids I had, because you have to have two so that they play with each other. They hate each other's guts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess there's, just no, there's no real point for them to kind mm. of stop until they've kind of got it all or they've, well, no, there's a big gap from the house to the second kid mm. till retirement. Mm. And then the, the thing, it just kind of starts hitting him and going, well, is it not really making me happy? Um, oh, look, 100% right. And I say this all the time and I've seen this over many, many years that most most people don't plan their lives. Most mm. people just sort of accidentally stumble along. And and I guess for, for a lot of people, it kind of turns out okay. <laughs> I guess a lot of people are listening to this, um, you know, for a different reason, you know, we live, if we're living in Australia for a start, we've probably got a pretty good life comparatively. The head start. Um, yeah. Yeah. But you're hundred percent right. And it, and it goes all the way back to school where, um, yeah, and, and I think school education is fantastic. And I think again, in Australia, we have a pretty good school system, but there's an excessive, almost exclusive focus on just one thing. And that's sort of academic excellence. Yes. So you learn, you do well in exams. That's pretty much it. They don't look at social skills very much. We don't look at social or emotional intelligence. And and what then happens as you get towards the end of school, you do tend to do the course that your marks get you into yep. or that your parents have mm. kind of guided you into. So if you get a really high mark, you do medicine or law, or if your parents are uh, you know, interested in, in business, you might do commerce or economics. But very little emphasis is put in, you know, what are you actually passionate about or what mm. are your strengths? Mm. Um that is getting a bit better. I think there's certainly, you know, my kids are getting to a stage now where I think they've had a little bit more focus on that than, well, I had nothing really, but, um, but there's still a long way to go. And, and so what that leads to eventually, hundred percent right, is people ending up in careers and professions. And even if they're successful in that, they're not very happy, which, you know, ultimately well, it's not a great long-term strategy. I don't think. Well, yeah. If you don't love it, you either, you pursue it for, you know, status and money and, you know, then you keep just 
climbing that tree and, you know, you're not getting anything fulfilled from <laughs> it. And then you go it. and buy a bigger and bigger house and you well, get a bigger and bigger in debt and that ties you into continuing that whole thing, doesn't it? Exactly. Mm. And that's, you know, that made up the bulk of my clients years ago when I had a practice who were, um, you know, I was based in the city. So, you know, a lot of them were um, ostensibly very successful professionals. Mm. Um, uh, and when I say ostensibly, you know, high status job, high income, nice house, right neighbourhood, private schools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but a lot of them were quite dissatisfied. And, and, and I'm not saying you can't be happy in those professions. Of no. course you can. Um, but if you're not, then, you know, it is, a, it is worth going back to reassess your values or, or it's worth, um, you know, considering how you can approach that job in a different way. Um, yep. You know, might not have mm. to change jobs, but maybe there's a different way you can go about what you're doing. And, yeah, like different mm. projects or, re, you know, exactly mm. getting some meaning from it that actually is tangible, yeah. that actually gives you purpose, I guess. Definitely. There's a lot about mm. the way we choose to think though, right? And mm. I mean, you've got a great PDF, which we're going to, I'm going to put in the, the, uh, the links in the show notes here, but, um, examples of automatic negative mm. thoughts. And, you know, I've actually got this occasional, uh, series I've been posting on LinkedIn, which is about flawed thinking and how it plays out in property. And so I found this, I thought that's quite interesting because I think that a lot of these automatic negative thoughts underpin the decisions that people make, and it's back to the elephant. So much of this is the elephant, you know, the subconscious mind reacting to things or, you know, reacting to really your beliefs that are set in from childhood or all these sort of stuff. So can we talk a bit about that and about how mm. that plays out, particularly with something as important, big as buying property? Oh, for sure. So um, I guess, yeah, just to go back a few steps, um, one of the, um, if not the, biggest sort of finding in psychology over the last few decades, I suppose. And it, it probably sounds pretty obvious to a lot of listeners, but, um, you know, if you go back several decades, it, it was quite a landmark finding. Is that the way we think yeah. about things affects how we feel and affects how we behave. So a lot of people would understand that now. It's become part of our common way of thinking in a sense. But, you know, again, that that really only came into, uh, well, the research only developed and became sort of popular in, I suppose, in the, probably in the 80s, um, maybe 70s or 80s, um, and then 80s and 90s really sort of got into popular self-help books, et cetera. So that's, that's relatively recently in, certainly, you know, from an academic perspective. But certainly, so the way we think about things definitely affects our decision-making in all areas of life. And as you hinted at just a minute ago, the way we think about things often, um, or at least largely evolves from um, early childhood events, um, parental influences largely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, our parents play a, uh, and not not consciously or, mm. or um, uh, overtly, but um, in the way we, we see and observe and learn a lot from our parents. So to go back to the point I made earlier, for example, if you're um, if one of your parents was um, uh, you know debt averse or yep. um, uh, not good at managing money, or um, you know, then we can easily learn to become afraid of money, or um, or vice versa. If one mm. of your parents was a was an extravagant spender, or um, you know, so all of those things influence us, and, and definitely when it comes to buying a house. Um, as we've again touched on, there are multiple motivations. You know, it can be um, it can be a, a roof over your head, it can be a, a, a financial investment, it can be a home, it can be all of these and yeah. several other things as well. So, so your thoughts and beliefs about all of those things, your values about what's really important, um, will come into that either in a in a positive or a negative way. And yep. again, as you said earlier, we're not always aware of these things. In fact, mm. we're often not aware of them. So what that means is we're being influenced by forces that we're not really conscious of. Um, but the good news is we can learn to become more conscious of these things. And that's, that's really, again, that's, this is sort of foundational to most psychological approaches now that 
we can learn to become more aware of our thoughts and beliefs. We can then become more aware of how they're influencing us. Yep. And if they're having a positive influence, fine. But if they're not, then maybe we can look at changing them. Yeah. I see it a lot with money. Money is such an emotional thing. And it, you know, growing up in certain families, you know, what your parents view on it was, you know, filters down to you. So if your parents didn't have money, you got this scarcity, this feeling mm. of instability. And so when you get older, you go on and you sometimes become a bit more independent and you want to save and things like that. And, um, you know, you won't go on and spend money on experiences, for example, because you've, you need a home and you must save. And so you become very frugal and, um, you know, and then you d delay gratification you say, well, I can't be happy now. I've got to save. And, um, you know, that's not a great strategy as well. You know, like you shouldn't be just focusing on saving money. You should be enjoying life and spending money experience. So I don't know, it's all these, it's just the, the beliefs that we have as kids and the values mm -hmm. that we don't even think about, um, just keep on playing out unless you actually stop and think, am I really, you know, putting myself first here? You know, you'll just kind of go on the treadmill and, you know, you, it'll be a D day at some point. Exactly. Um, what, what I'd say, what I think it is important to note that um, there's, there's not necessarily any shoulds. Everyone's different. Um, so there's nothing wrong with saving. If, if, you're, if you're prepared to sacrifice and, you know, I'm not going to go on holidays, I'm not going to, I really want to save up or a house or whatever, that's fine. If you make that decision, then obviously that's, you know, well, it's your decision. Important decision um, to make. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, but I think that is important. Different. Mm. Everyone will have different motivations mm. and there'll be all sorts of different reasons for that. So it is important to understand that, that everyone's different, but you're hundred percent right. And look, I'm a, I guess to give you a personal example, I'm a classic example of someone that I grew up in a, um, I mean, we weren't, we weren't poor. We were sort of, you know, just, well, we were pretty average middle class, I suppose, yep. but but uh, I, don't, I don't think we ever openly talked about it. And this is another issue, actually. Most, most mm. families never talk about finances. But I, I somehow, I think I always learnt that debt. My father was, um, was quite risk-averse and debt-averse. So I think I always grew up, again, subconsciously probably thinking that debt was bad. Mm. Um, but then as I, um, as I sort of got a bit older and, and started to have a bit of success and my father-in-law was, um, was a more successful investor and businessman, mm. we started to, um, to borrow and made some investments. Um, which was very successful for a while. And then we got smashed by the GFC and got mm. quite burned like a lot of people. So I've had some quite ups and downs and I guess I've had to learn through that um, to find my balance mm -hmm. um, that, you know, I guess firstly that there's good debt and bad debt. Mm -hmm. All your listeners know about that. Um, but what, and what's good and bad for me personally. And, and, and that's, again, that's not the same as, you know, be different for other people out there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but again, I think the key is you hinted at that, we can't ever get to that stage if we're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, so we need to actually find a way to, uh, to stop and think and reflect on those sorts of things. And again, what's working and not working or um, find someone that can help you with that, I suppose. See uh, the old unexamined life, mm. isn't it? But so what, I guess it's mostly pain that drives people to start to look into something that they didn't realise they weren't looking into, they weren't even aware of. And I guess that's a bit of a problem, isn't it? Oh, yeah, again, another great question. Um, unfortunately, it is, you know, as a, um, I, I don't practice as a clinical psychologist anymore, um, but I, you know, I did for many, many years. And as a clinical psychologist, you know, most people would only come to me and, and other people you know, when they kind of hit rock bottom or when there was yeah. some pretty significant mm. trigger or trauma or event. Um, and, and, and in some ways that's understandable, but for years and ever really in my professional career, I just couldn't help but think, why did you come earlier? Why do people wait mm. so long? Yeah. Um, you know, if you'd come a year or five years or whatever years earlier, it would have, you know, the problem wouldn't have been so big. It probably would have been easy to fix. And yeah, it's, it's very true. Unfortunately, um, uh, it's, it does take often a, a very severe 
often negative event mm. to mm. trigger someone. Um, and that's not just true in psychology, but in, you know, it's true in, in medicine and other areas as well. But, you know, it certainly would be, well, in, in, in my era, I suppose there's, there's been this, um, I guess what some people call the wellness revolution, which is kind of yeah. trying to encourage people to take a more preventative approach, um, to be more proactive on for mm. their health, not just their ill health. And I think in, uh, I mean, I think in financial planning, it's probably the same. You know, a lot I of was people, thinking the exact yeah. same thing when yeah. you were talking there. I was thinking exactly right. So, um, you know, it's maybe a stigmatism. It's maybe mm. a, a brand, you know, a, or you can't go see a psychologist because it means there must be something wrong. What's wrong with you? Well, no, nothing's wrong. I just want to get some advice. I just mm. want to get second Mental opinion. Mental health check. I just want to have the sounding board. And, you know, it's the same thing. I think the worry is sometimes you know, people don't want to go and seek professionals because sometimes they'll say things that they don't want to hear as well, you know, and I think, you know, a lot of times oh, with financial yes. advice is, you know, I'll, they'll come and sit down with me and um, I'll tell them exactly what they need to do. And a lot of that sometimes, you know, maybe not spending, maybe it is, you know, selling some properties, maybe it is. And, um, you know, I think probably a lot of times, sometimes when they go to, they think when they're going to go to a psychologist is they probably think that they're going to start telling them things that they didn't really want to think about and they want to live in this ignorance is bliss world and just continue on until it's till they have to take action and um you know and, and then that's usually when it's too late mm. because they they've lost the biggest asset which is time and um you know and i think that's the the big worry is that we don't go and seek help till it's you know when it comes when it comes to property there's there's so much tied up in it we've already alluded to a lot of this but there's there's all these beliefs that are around you know the home and the shoulds and the shouldn'ts and all that sort of stuff and People make decisions based on often a lot of other things other than the actual property itself. And then it's only afterwards they sort of realise when the stress is lifted a little bit and they think, oh, there were actually, there was a few other alternatives, <laughs> you, know, or I, you know. And I see it, you know, I see it when people go and bid at auction, for instance, and FOMO, you know, mm. and it's that that whole, they've just forgotten everything, all the decisions they may have made beforehand in terms of what property might be worth to them or what their finances are or whatever. And then all of a sudden something else kicks in because it sub it suddenly means something different to them. Mm. Um, <coughs> so, um, so I think that, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And again, I remember, you know, when we bought our house, the same sort of thing, uh, I think to some extent it's understandable. Cause again, for a lot of people, well, if we're talking about a home, not just an investment, um, it is more than just an investment. Mm. So it is very hard to keep that emotion out. Mm. But, but even we, we probably should. Yeah. I, I find people say to me, <coughs> right? I find people say to me, I want to make, you know, unemotional decisions around investments. It's about the dollars and the cents. It's about the numbers. And I'm like, the thing is, though, often even saying that, you, I see you giving me a bit of a clue that there's a fair amount of fear around that. I mean, it sounds sensible. But a lot of this, oh, I'm going to be really, really unemotional. A lot of that, even that declaration is, is I think, rooted in a fear. And it's that's an emotion. And so we need to express that and get that out because you can often walk away from really good investments mm. and buy really shit investments because they're cheap and they make you feel better about being cheap, you know, as opposed to making really good investment decisions. So it's really interesting how it all plays out in investing as well as in your own mm. home. Uh, yeah, again, I think you understand, right. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things there. I think... Um, uh, you know, again, it's it's quite amazing that for again for most of us, our biggest financial decision is made with very little research and very little advice, really. Mm. Um, which is quite you know, it's bizarre when you think about it. That it again, is when you think about it. Yeah, you know, the, the biggest thing that most of us are by, we often don't talk to experts or yeah. don't think it through. 
and I suppose you know there's a variety of reasons for that, I guess. But but they the other one, they don't want to be told what they don't want to hear. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you said there. Chris. Well, sometimes <laughs> you don't want to be told that you can't do it. Mm, you know, true. and I I want my parents tell me I should do it. My friends, my colleagues, my everyone around me, society tells me I need to go buy a property, and then. You go speak to someone and they say, oh, actually, you know what? It's probably not the right thing to do right now. You need to save more. You need to get your budget. You need to pay off your, your credit card. Um, and so they don't want to hear that. They just want to be able to get what they want today. And it's that kind of impulsive kind of society well, that, we live in. That also, yeah, and that reinforces what, what I was just going to say a minute ago as well, which is that um, we offer, and, and there's a lot of research, a lot of psychological research in this, we often think we're much more rational than we are. Yes. Humans are, <laughs> humans are, far less rational mm. than we think we are <laughs> mm. when it comes to almost any decision-making process. Um, we we can be rational, um, but often we're not. Our, our mm. emotions and a whole range of other factors. I mean, even, even the context we're in can affect our decision-making much more than people realise. So, yeah. you know, there have been research. So if you look at even looking at buying, um, you know, um, breakfast cereals on the shelves, for example, there's a whole range of factors that affect that that we're not even aware of, mm. for example. Yeah. Um, Come on, so, tell us some. Yeah. Oh well, uh, well, I mean, just well, the coloring and the, I mean, you mm. know, the branding of the packet, the position on the shelf. So, mm. you know, there's a reason why the big names um, buy. They pay a lot yep. for prime positioning, which is sort of from your eye level down to your belly button level, mm. sort of thing. Because that's people often don't look right down low and they don't look right up. So, just simple things yep. like that. Um, there's been uh, the size of the plate, for example, determines how much we eat. So, mm. you know, we think we're eating to we're hungry or to we're not hungry anymore, but we actually eat a lot more than that often because yeah. of serving sizes. And so, you know, that's for a little thing like a meal <laughs> or a, a purchase, but when it, but the same factors can affect um, uh, buying in you know, buying a house. So, you know, how many other bidders there are, for example, and how aggressive the other bidders are can affect you uh, going oh, above and below. So Yeah, it does. Um, but I think it's so coming back to, ju- and I think this is what you were saying earlier, being aware of the role of emotions is one of the first steps to trying to, I guess, contain that or manage mm. that in a way. Mm. And happiness, I mean, I read on your website and I do agree with it. Um, can you, do you choose to be happy and do you have to make a conscious choice, um, you know, to, to be happy today and with your situation today or at least be striving towards it or will it just magically appear? <laughs> yes, no, yes, no. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, can you choose to be happy? Yes and no. So I'll, I'll go back a step earlier. There are a number of factors that can influence our happiness. Um, mm. Uh, one of which, um, at least partially is a sort of genetic or biological makeup, um, our yep. predisposition. So, so there's no doubt that we're, we're all born, uh, to some extent with a predisposition to be happier or less happier or whatever. Yep. Um, and that's, you know, you can probably look, if you look around your friends or your colleagues, you'll see that there are some people who okay, it's, they don't have to make an effort. It's just easy. They wake up in the morning and they're, you know, whistling a happy tune and they smile and whatever's going on around them. Is that and, biochemical? Uh, well, to some extent, yes. We, to, to be honest, we don't really understand. Mm. Um, yeah. And there's a lot more. Uh, yeah, we really don't understand. It's, it's, it's partly the way that our brains are made mm. up. And there's a whole, whole range of factors that, um, that that we're still researching, to be honest. But that being said, to, there's no doubt that to some extent um, we don't have control over that. But the good news is it's not 100%. Yeah. Um, and so this is where the choice or the control... Uh, at least, or at least some, and a significant proportion is within our control, and that comes down to you know what we do each and every day. So regardless of your sort of biological or genetic makeup, or whatever, you can still, we can still choose to think about things in certain ways, yep. uh, do things in certain ways, um, 
you know, interact with other people in certain ways. So he, you know, he can choose to exercise or eat well or be polite or be kind or be grateful. Mm. Um, and the sum total of those choices and decisions will, uh, to some extent, make up your happiness. Now, mm. there are some people who are just genetically lucky who might be, you know, who'll be gold medal winners. Not all of us will be an Olympic. So the metaphor I sometimes use is that, um, you, you know, I could go, I could go to the pool and get lessons and train to swim and practice every day for weeks and weeks and months and months. I would never win a gold medal in the mm. hundred meter freestyle. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not genetic. You know, you need to be as much, as much as those guys train hard and work hard, they're also genetically blessed. Mm-hmm. have the body a certain yep. size and shape. Uh, but even if I'm not going to be an Olympic gold medalist, I can still be a bit Good better. Swimmer. Yeah. I can still be a little bit better, and that's what we can all do. So mm. wherever you're starting from, yes, you can still choose to make the most of what you have. So I guess it's not trying to get here today. It's more this incremental improvements, and over time they kind of compound, like that kind of Kaizen philosophy. Well, a little bit. It's one of those things. See, hap- this, I guess you've heard the bit about, you know, is happiness the, the journey or the destination? Mm. Um, and it's kind of both. Um, by that I mean you know, working towards setting and working towards and achieving goals is important and it feels good, you know, a sense of satisfaction. But it's not as though you can ever get to the point of being happy and then just stop and say, right, I'm there. You've <laughs> got to keep working at it. And it's, it's again, the metaphor I often use is with physical health and well-being. You know, if I go to the gym every day uh, and work out, I can get fitter and stronger. But if I stop going to the gym, mm. I'll lose a lot of yeah. that. And it's the same with happiness. If you stop doing the sorts of things that contribute to your health and well-being, uh, your happiness will so probably chip. practice. And, and well, it's an ongoing day. Mm. It definitely is practice. And like, um, like with many er- other areas of life, the more you practice, the better you get. But it's also something you just, it's got to be built into your life. I mean, it's just it's something. It's a practice. Uh, uh, yes. Yes. yes sorry, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. It's a practice. So it's a daily rituals around what you need to do. Do you think <clears throat> happy people make better decisions? Now, this is a really interesting one. And there's some, I guess, kind of mixed research. So in many ways, yes, but it depends on the nature of the decision-making and the context they're in. So um, most of the studies in most of the areas we've looked at the decision, uh, the, the, the answer is yes. So happy people tend to be more productive. They tend to be more creative and more innovative. So they tend to solve problems better, et cetera, et cetera. But there are some areas, interestingly, where... Um, not we don't want people to be miserable, but we're kind of well, we're more of a neutral mood mm. can actually be better, mm. right? Um, and this is important, so it's not about being really depressed, yeah. but kind of a neutral, and that's where the decision making is. So, if we're looking at very analytical type uh, decisions, so this is why, for example, lawyers, for example, the best lawyers are not necessarily the happiest ones, mm. uh, again, they're not the most depressed ones, but they're kind of and things like so, where, where very fine detail is involved, so. Uh, where there's a strong element of risk assessment. So I think one of the other areas they've looked at is air traffic controllers. Mm. Um, we don't necessarily want them to be exuberantly happy. We want them to I be see. able to, because they've got to focus, again, on very fine detail. Um, so, well, again, it's kind of yes and no. More is that because they might be, if they're overly positive, they might gloss over the possibility of bad things could happen? Yeah, pretty much, yes. That's kind of, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. And, and, again, mm. it comes that so, you know, happiness um, – means different things in different contexts that can be more or less helpful in different contexts. You know, mm. we, we don't necessarily want to be exuberantly happy all the time. Well, we can't anyway. No. Yeah, no one it's will un- be anyway. Yeah. That's another, um, you know, no matter who you are um, and what your context is and even if all of your life circumstances are, are looking mm. great, it's totally normal, totally appropriate to experience what 
what psychologists would call the negative emotion. So it's normal to feel angry sometimes. It's normal mm. to get frustrated mm. or sad or anxious or stressed. These are totally normal and at times appropriate human emotions. You know, if you if you lose a loved one, it's appropriate to grieve. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's, it is important. When, when we're talking about thriving and flourishing and living our best lives, that's not being smiling and happy every minute of every day. Mm. It's going to be a range of emotions depending on what's going on. And do you think, though, that society is, though, built to create, is built on unhappiness, though? You know, I guess consumerism, spending, um, a lot of societies, you know, wouldn't be productive. You know, the only reason we get innovation is generally because people say, well, what we've got today isn't good enough. We need something better. And so, you know, we this microphone, for example, isn't good enough. We need to make a better one. I'm unhappy with this, and I know I can sell it. So do you think that the society is basically built on unhappiness, really? You know, that's what really drives the whole system. <laughs> uh, again, yes and no. I think yeah, certainly there's um, there's elements of that. I think that there's sort of two parts to what you're saying. Um, and it's interesting. I was just at a, at a um, part of an event yesterday where I was um, working with some engineers and and designers um, whose whose job is to solve problems basically. And that's you know one of them actually said um, uh, that's that you know the source of a lot of his ideas comes from frustration. When he's frustrated mm. with something, it's not working well. That country, well, how can I make this better? How can I invent something new? So. So I think that frustration in that sense can certainly lead to progress, which mm. is a good thing. The other part, which I think is probably a little bit different, is, is I suppose, capitalism and materialism. Yep. And, yeah, look, there's no doubt that and, – and this is one of the causes of our unhappiness to some extent in, in the modern Western world. We're constantly bombarded with literally thousands of messages every day essentially telling us, yeah, you're not happy – you will be happier if you buy this, mm. um, if you wear this certain clothes, if you buy this soft drink, if you... Um, Just looking externally as opposed to internally. Well, I think that's... So, but, what, again, what we need to understand is... So that's, that's life. Um, where, you know, there are pros and cons with every particular model, but it seems as though uh, the best model for us to live within at the moment is, is some version of capitalism, you yep. know, and so... Um, and so with capitalism comes advertising and marketing. Um, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, that's, again, it's not necessarily good or bad, I think, but what we do need to be, oh, is more aware of those messages and the influences they have. And mm. what we need to be aware is that we don't actually have to listen to them. Yes. Or we don't have to respond to them. So just because someone's telling me I do need to buy a new car, I don't have to, <laughs> if, my, yeah. if my current car is good mm. enough, or just because someone's telling me I need the latest iPhone, well, I don't. The iPhone I've got now is if it's working perfectly mm. well, but I think again, but not as many people think through those decisions. That it's very easy to get sucked in, um, you know. And even I, as someone who's who tries to be aware of it, it's very oh gosh, wouldn't it be nice to have that? Mm. Yeah. Um, and it is nice sometimes. It's not bad to you know if you you know like new clothes or whatever it might be or new gadgets. Um, that's not that's not the worst thing in the world. Mm. Um, but it can well, but it can be I suppose it can be problematic if it's going to lead to financial strain. Yeah, yep. if you're living beyond your means. Yeah. Or if you're looking for more happiness than you're really going to get. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I guess that's the hard <laughs> It all comes probably down to being grateful for what you have and thankful for what you've got today and not wanting something that you haven't got. And, you know, thinking, well, I can't be happy today because I haven't got, you know, X, you know. I guess it's one of the reasons when I love I love traveling so much is that, you know, when I, you know, do travel generally, I'm not going to kind of big kind of cities, I'll go to countries that are probably less fortunate and probably struggle a bit more. And, you know, I usually Makes find sense. that really kind of coming back from those holidays because that's when I really learn the most. It makes me really stop and question and make feel how you know, lucky I am to live in Australia and things like that. 
I guess it's kind of that's the exposure to that. But if you live in a bubble, for example, you've grown up, you know, in an expensive house in expensive cars, where, where's, where, where's the kind of limit you're going to keep on, you know, setting higher bars and it's not really going to make you any happier, really. Well, so there's no doubt gratitude's a, a really important part of, of happiness being, you know, happy people focus more on what they have and less on what they don't have. Mm. Um, it's, um, you know, it's not that happy people are more grateful. It's that grateful people are happier. Um, mm. So that's, that's very much it. Um, and the other part that, um, you know, I think we sort of almost touched on a bit earlier is you, you might've heard of the, there's been a, quite a big sort of focus in the last few years on, on minimalism, on the minimalism. Yeah. Yep. Marie Kondo is sort of an example of that. And um, that was those, those sorts of related movements are often a bit misunderstood. So my understanding is, and I've read and thought quite a lot about this, is that it's not necessarily about, it's not about never buying anything new. But what they're really encouraging people, and you touched on this, is to just before you buy something, ask that question, mm. do I really need it? Well, is this going to add to my life? Will this add value or joy or whatever? And if the answer is yes, then fine. Mm. It's really going to – and you were, when you were talking to your client, talking about your client earlier about that possible new house, mm. it's the same sort of thing. If it's really going to add value, then maybe that, that's worthwhile. Mm. But if it's not, if it's just another thing that's going to sit in just another cupboard or drawer, um, why buy it? And, yeah. and, and, again, I don't, don't think – not enough people sort of think through that as carefully no. as they should and – you know, I think there's research that suggests that a lot of us only wear, you know, 30% of the clothes in our wardrobe and that sort of thing. I mean, what, what a waste. <laughs> exactly. It's interesting. And in, in terms of housing, you've got these bigger and bigger houses mm. being built. I think Australians have the biggest, you know, per square metre mm-hmm. per capita house, you know, in the world to fill with more stuff. You know, and is and that a bur- trap? You know, it's- and now one of the one of the biggest growing businesses is is storage units. Yeah. Oh no, so our, it's just so outrageous, isn't so it? So our big houses aren't big enough. We're going to have a big house, and and now we're going to store it. Pay uh, to store the stuff we don't actually yeah, need exactly. and hasn't really made us happy. Yeah. I think when it comes to to property, one of the things that I find, um, you know, years and years and years of looking at you know working with clients, but also observing other people and so observing the decisions that they've made, that. Your life actually becomes easier if you do make the right decision and the right decisions come from being more aware, I think, and being more conscious of what you're doing because then when you're unconscious and you make decisions and then you sort of wake up from that and realise that you're trapped because the problem is with buying property, like a bit like walking through a turnstile, they go one way. You bought it, you're on the other side of that turnstile. You can look back but Mm. you are on the other side of the turnstile and likewise when you sell it, the same thing. So they're quite monumental decisions to buy or sell property and they're financially, the implications are huge and the potential to live with regret, you know, when you wake up and realize that, oh, there were other options or I Mm. didn't have to do that. Or maybe people don't even, oh, often they don't even reflect that much. They just know that whatever it is, is, is not working for them. And that, that is, you know, I think something that's really important with property that, 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 you know, I really want to encourage people to take more time and understand the implications of what they're doing. And it's not just that financial implication, it's that happiness implication. Yeah, I guess in terms of pursuing money and, you know, and pursuing wealth and wealth creation, you know, what's your kind of, what's the problems with kind of going down that direction? Because a lot of people would say, I'm not going to buy an investment property because, you know, A, I don't really, they haven't really attached any reason why they'd want money. And I guess even if they do think they need money, they're just saying, I need more money, I need more money, or I don't need more money. And they kind of stop themselves today because they haven't actually got a clear end goal of when they, mm, where they we'll want to end it. up. And <laughs> and what, what am I going to use that money for? Like, 
what does money enable, I guess? And, you know, does it allow me to pursue passions? Does it allow me to, you know, take a better job? But I think a lot of people just think that more money can mean more possessions. And I guess we know that that's not really the right route to go down. You know, so I guess it's using money the right way. Would you kind of agree with that? Or Yeah, well, I think it goes back to the point we made very, very early on, which is that not enough people really think about planning their lives. Because mm, you know? yeah. if you don't know what the end goal is, and, and again, it'll be different for every person. Mm. You know, I'm guessing your, yours will be very different to mine and, and et cetera, vice versa. But, um, um, but if we don't know that, then all these other questions become so hard to answer. Yeah. So I think it's really got to go back to that. People, I guess ideally and ideally as early as possible, I'd be encouraging people to think, you know, what what would your great life look like? Now, yeah. it's I know it's hard when you're, say, in your 20s to think about, you know, being in your 80s or whatever, but and, and you, even if you do, you probably won't get 100% right, but it doesn't matter as long as, you, as, long as you're getting close to it or yeah. at least giving it some thought because mm. then we can, you know, if this is where I would like to be, and again, and there's no right or wrong answers. Again, it's going to be very different for different people. But then we can start to work back and say, okay, this is where you want to be. Yeah. What do I need to do now in order to exactly get what steps yeah. do I need to take? And then for different people, depending on that, money will play a different role. Mm. Uh, and again, it's not right or wrong; it's just different. Um, so yeah, until you answer that, and even what we said earlier about values, you know, until mm. you go back and answer those really basic questions. You're just stumbling along, um, and as as you quite rightly said, you know you're going to often stumble into the wrong choices and mm. the wrong decisions, which is uh, not great. I, again, I was thinking about the you know house buying just before when you were saying. I was thinking that really, you know, most people the only conversation most people would probably have, I'm guessing, is that they go to the bank and say, "How much can I borrow?" Yep. And this, this is my this is how much I've got. This is my income. Um, but clearly it's about much more. I mean, that, that is an important question, but, yeah. but there's a lot of other important questions as well, which unfortunately um, not enough people think through. Very true. Every week we hear incredible stories of the dumb things property buyers do. Dumb things that end up costing a whole lot of money and or creating a whole lot of stress. Mistakes that can be avoided. Please, Tim, can you give us an example of a property dumbo? We can all learn what not to do from these stories. Oh well, thankfully I haven't really made. <laughs> thankfully we've been uh, we've been very lucky as so I haven't made any dumbos. My wife and I have. Um, well, we're we've we've owned, we're on our second house, um, and both of them. Uh, well, we were, <laughs> we're exceptionally lucky. We got them both after they were passed in at auction, which I think is the best time to ever buy a house. I think um, <laughs> sometimes because they is, were yes. both well, they were both desperate sellers, and we just happened to be looked to be along at the right place. So. Personally, um, I, I'm thankfully I've, I've been pretty lucky, but um, I think when I think it through, fam, you know, friends and family, uh, I think definitely um, the the mistakes that I've I've heard of people making, uh, as we've talked about, just um, because I haven't thought it through. Mm. Or I suppose one of the other things that now that I'm thinking about it that hasn't really come up is when um, a couple when but when different people in the couple have different ideals yes. or different yes. goals. So yes. I'm not sure how often that comes up with you, but as I think about it now, um, you know, that, you know, whether husband or wife have uh, different ideas, um, get pushed sort of down one way and then one person sort of never quite satisfied. Is that something that yeah. you guys? Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. I see that. I mean, I, that's why I always have the first calls generally with one side cause they reach out to me, but the second meeting I'm always, you know, both of you need to be there. Um, and we both need to get it all out on the table. And sometimes in those conversations, one's been a bit more dominating or is the speaker and the other one's more the passive mm -hmm. person and they speak when they've been, you know, it's their opportunity to speak. And, you know, in that situation, I'll usually focus my attention generally on the person who's not speaking. Quite on, yeah. And, um, you know, because it's so important that they're both there and they're both on this journey because 
it's such a big decision and um you know it's they could want different things and if they've not given that forum to talk um next thing you know they've signed the mortgage they've got the mm. house um and it's not till two years later and resentment starts and you know oh, I, sh I shouldn't have done quicker it than that yeah well, and there's, there's also <laughs> the passive aggressive stuff that goes on i've seen <laughs> more so when i was filming the show actually but you'd, you'd see this go on with some couples where one would win one would be dominant and win and the other one would be subversive mm. you know that actually sabotage and you know and so you'd, you'd find deals would never come off because you know, one looks like they're going to get their own way and the other one's like, oh, you're not, but I'm not going to come out openly and say that. Yeah. And so you see that behaviour. And the other thing I, that we'd, we'd see is that people then would be the told you so, told you so, told you so. So you got one <laughs> forevermore. Yeah. What a revolting way to live. You talk about good quality of relationships being um, being uh, a big key to happiness. Well, <laughs> that's that's where the whole housing thing and happiness is very much intrinsically woven together when you've got couples in that situation. It's pretty horrible. And do you think that would self-discovery and self, you know, do you think that both sides of the couple is really important to, you know, if one's going down that journey and is thinking like this, that the partner's kind of try going on that journey as well or? Oh, very much. So, yeah, I mean, to go back, we there's no doubt that yeah, your intimate relationships are, well, all of your relationships, but particularly an intimate one like a husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend is vitally important to your health and happiness. You know, it's, um, if I'll I've just got say a, girlfriend and girlfriend, girlfriend yeah, or boyfriend or boyfriend, thank you. Yep. Too, too many sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, hundred percent. So whoever that other person is, um, uh, you know, if, if my partner is, is unhappy or nagging or whatever, it, you know, it's very hard for me to be happy if that's mm. going on. Um, so that, you know, the quality of that relationship is important. Um, and the quality of that relationships is, is largely or significantly determined by communication. I mean, it sounds mm -hmm. very obvious, but that's one of the keys. And, and again, I mean, to go a little bit off property, but to go into happy marriages, um, you know, too many people, um, you know, we think, oh, I love this person. I want to be this person, but, but not enough people talk about, well, how many kids do you want? Or, yeah. or, or do you want kids at all? How many kids do you want? Um, what are your thoughts on schooling, you know, private versus public? What are your thoughts on finances? You know, yeah. some people are much more. And all these big issues, which can ultimately, well, you know, which are ultimately important for the quality of our life, we're going in, you know, we make a decision to live with this person, but if you haven't really thought those through, mm. through those yeah. big issues, religion and whatever, then um, that can easily cause problems later on, unfortunately. Yeah. And the values, I guess it always comes yeah. back to that. It does come that? back to it, doesn't values. it? Values. If you, you know, you disconnect on what your, and if you don't really know what those are, um, and, you know, and yours isn't getting met or they don't value it mm. at all. It just keeps clashing, doesn't it? And it doesn't, it won't ever go away unless you really identify and talk about yeah. it, I guess. Well, again, I mean, a lot of people don't think through these things and I understand why, especially, you know, I mean, if you're young and in love or whatever, but, but we should really, you know, even, mm. and not just having children, but in you know, different approaches to disciplining or raising children. And these are the, these are really important issues that more, <laughs> I wish more people would think through at least a little bit more clearly, um, earlier on. It's funny, I, have, I asked a question, so I'm sorry, in terms of, um, you know, it's, it was a client yesterday, you know, he's 29, he's single, um, he wants to buy a property and, um, you know, I'm like, well, you know, if, if you meet someone, you know, do you, you know, do you think you'd want to meet someone and have a relationship? Yep. 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 And you know, if that did happen, did you, do you think you'd want to have kids? And it's very hard to ask a single 29 year old guy like that question. And he's like, well, and he was pretty blunt. He said, well, yeah, actually I would, you know, I, that would be my dream. I said, well, you know, let's say that happens, right? You do, you do meet someone and you do settle down and it can happen quite quickly and you're going to have kids. Are you really going to want to live in that apartment? And, you know, and he goes, well, probably not, you know, because it's just not where I want to live and things like that. And I said, well, you know, what, 
what might could happen, I've seen it lots of times before, is you'll get to that situation, you'll be in the apartment and then you met someone and then you don't want the apartment anymore and you're going to sell the apartment and that whole exercise is going to be pointless. And so what we were then doing is saying, what can we do is maybe buy a house that you could grow into if you do meet someone um, and regardless, that could be a better investment anyway. And so it kind of just, but it was asking someone who's single at 29, you know, do they want kids? And, you know, sometimes clients will say, well, no, it's in the future. It's five years away at least, but five years comes up pretty quick. Oh, it whizzes by. But that's so, great. I mean, that's, um, you know, again, I think, well, I don't know how many property advisors or financial advisors or bank managers ask some of those bigger questions. Not like, enough. Pro- probably not enough. Exactly. Because um, they're, they're fantastic questions, important questions to be asking, perfectly appropriate questions. Which so. is why we brought you here today, Dr. <laughs> Happy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Oh. It's been a really, really great chat. Um, I think this, like always, we're getting these conversations. I feel like we could go on for another hour, um, but we can't. We don't have the studio <laughs> for any longer. So. <laughs> so we have to wrap up. The clock is, uh, it's all right. Yes, like. John's sitting there. No, no, no. He's not, he's not hassling us. <laughs> but no, in all seriousness, thank you so much for joining us. We've really oh. enjoyed this chat. It's all of this is really important stuff and it all is all about being more aware. Yes. And once we're aware, there are things that we can do um, that will help us, I guess, take ourselves in the direction that we really want to go in. And um, we're going to put the links to your website on the show notes. And obviously we encourage you all to go there and you can download the transcript. You can get our fills or forecasters report if you're interested in that as well. But also the other thing on the website, I mean, um, the other thing we'd love to ask our listeners is please give us a review on iTunes. You know, these reviews help us uh, spread the word, I guess, and and share these messages. So if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please share and please also give us a review. We really appreciate it. Because we know we've got a couple of thousand listeners, but we've got about 120 iTunes five stars. So, you know, there must be a few of you out there that haven't pressed the five star button. So we'd love that. <laughs> I love comments. And thank you. Thank you, Dr. Happy. That's been amazing. We, um, it's just, you know, my view on property is that, you know, there is a huge happiness element to it, but you've got to appreciate it when you get it and you've got to be thankful when you've got it and, and, and not just always kind of think, well, I've got this house. I'm going to upgrade in five years. No, I've got a house. I'm happy. That's good for me. Um, and it makes me happy because I get to spend time with my family in this space and, you know, and it's airy and it's light and it gives me, you know, it gives me creativity and things like that. So there's so many elements there that we, you know, need in a property. So thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. We want to make you a better elephant rider. And this week's elephant rider training is... Talking more about uh, couples buying property together. We did touch on this a bit in this uh, chat with Tim. It's very, very interesting. And what happens when couples are trying to agree on what's important and um, you know, what they need to focus on when they're buying a property. And it can often lead to a lot of conflict. And it's hard because I guess I see people in my office a lot where where they've been looking a long time together and they've not necessarily been on the same page. And quite often you'll have one who might express an opinion, the other one will look at them and say, well, you don't really know anything about property, um, so I'm not going to listen to you. And then the other one will do exactly the same thing. One of the things that I find that a lot of couples do, which is really ill-advised, and that is one will do all the legwork. So one goes out, does all the research, all the initial inspections, then basically presents a shortlist to their partner and then and then they'll go through and they are not as educated in the market or on the market um, and they will 
go to those properties and quite often they'll just poo-poo them, you know, and they'll say, oh, I'm not paying that for that or well, that's nothing like I want. And that's a really difficult situation because the first person then starts getting pretty resentful because they're done all this work. I said, well, you pull your finger out then in that case. So I think the one thing I would say in this Elephant Rider Bootcamp is if you're buying with your partner, you both need to put equal input into the actual search process. Another thing I, uh, that we do with all of our clients, we actually get our clients to individually write their wish lists or their briefs and, and then we will look at them together. What often happens with couples, and particularly the longer they search unsuccessfully, is that the the things that they disagree on become really dominant. And the reality is, and even I've had people that have been looking for up to four years without having found a property, when we get them to write down what they want individually, separately, without looking at each other's notes, we often find that there's a lot more common ground than they've realised. It's just they're moved completely off the common ground and they're in the areas of difference and they're never going to buy if that is the case. So there's just a couple of tips that we find through dealing with couples a lot that, you know, when we address these, we can get couples on the same page very, very quickly in my business. We have a process that we go through to help them get to that point. But they're two fundamentals that I can encourage anybody to look at if you're actually looking at buying with your partner. for our next episode when we interview Roger Montgomery who's a very well-known commentator on the subject of investing and we talked to him about really I guess concept of value investing how it applies in the share market versus the property market why some money market experts are very bearish on property i.e. they don't like it they think that uh, the equities markets are vastly superior does Roger agree or not we'll find out we also have a very good conversation about interest rates, where they're going, why they're going to go there and what the likely impact of that is going to be on the property market. And just as an aside, the impact of a slowdown in new residential construction. So there's a lot in this episode and we hope you can join us. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Resk. Editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.